Welcome to the Silk Road Mountain Race Podcast, a 12-part series covering an epic new bikepacking race through the remote mountains of Kyrgyzstan. I'm Lucy Cahoon, and in the course of the series, you'll be hearing all about the race and the riders, as well as learning a bit about this spectacular part of Central Asia. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 12, finally, of the Silk Road Mountain Race podcast. This is the last episode in this series of the inaugural 2018 Silk Road Mountain Race, but with any luck, we'll be back next year to bring you more thrills and spills and adventures from the competitors out in the field. Meanwhile, this episode is a great opportunity to have a roundup of people's recollections, happy and not so happy memories from the race, the challenges, and what will stick most in their minds. We'll be hearing from them both in interview uh, and in words and also in poetry. So sit down, make yourself a cup of tea and enjoy these last thoughts from Kyrgyzstan. start recording cool uh right i am now back in very rainy damp scotland which is a bit of a come down from uh 40 degree heat in bishkek and i am chatting to katie and lee who are also back in the uk and uh reliving no doubt all the memories of the ups and the downs and um tending blistered feet etc so first of all thank you very much for joining me thank you for inviting us and tell us about first of all just give us a quick intro you're riding as a pair how long did it take you and were you one of the very few people who successfully completed the whole thing we were one of the very few um miraculously not sure how that happens um it took us 14 days and one hour is it yeah 14 days one hour and 24 according to nelson yes so we were up the back but still we were happy to finish so (laughs) that's fine and were you the only pair no, there was one other pair that came in shortly after us as well. Oh, so you were first pair. First pair. <laughs> <Yes>. Excellent. <laughs> and you were within the cutoff, so were you racing to the finish at the end? Um, a, a little bit, but only kind of for fun. Um, yeah, we were both very close together and, and we chatted a lot in the days before, so it really wasn't competitive, but, um, but yeah, we were it's still a race isn't it exactly exactly well you sound in very good spirits Um, I'm sure that wasn't always the case for the duration of the 14 days so um can you tell me about the lowest moments that both of you had you're not probably going to believe us but um we didn't really have many we really enjoyed ourselves um I don't know why um compared to all the horror stories we've heard heard from other people but um maybe because we were going maybe a bit slower and we weren't kind of at the front of the field but no it was it was everything we expected it to be it was everything we wanted to be and um yeah overall we loved it (laughs) that was fantastic we need to bottle your positivity and hand it out at the start line I think I think just the way we approached the race the way we went into it we were we were there to complete not compete as it um, were. So just the, the, the way in which we did it, it was a bit of a three-stage. Katie was ill for the first three days and then in the middle we, 
we went at a good pace. We covered good distance, but we took photos and enjoyed the enjoyed the journey and what Kyrgyzstan had to offer. And then maybe the last three days, we kind of put the hammer down and took a little bit longer. But no, you know, there's dark moments, of course. You know, areas where it's sort of longer and straighter, or the corrugated iron sort of gravel roads and things like that. But no real, no real dramas as such. Just a very enjoyable experience overall. No tears. Not really. Um, uh, the first three days when I was very poorly were, were I was pretty low just from being poorly. But um, yeah, yeah, no, miraculously, um, yeah, nothing really hurt too much. We slept like you know a good seven hours each night. We were eating well, so the bodies were holding out. Um, actually, um, <laughs> we were carrying the mother of all medical kits. Um, including three types of antibiotic and like quick clots for traumatic bleeding and diclofenac for inflammation and you name it we were carrying it and so thankfully one of my three types of antibiotic were um perfect for um I had the early stages of pneumonia which was what was making me oh my goodness um yeah uh, thankfully I was carrying something that could solve the problem or that we hoped could solve the problem and uh yeah, day three I was at my worst, but by day four their drugs had definitely started to kick in, and by the second week I was pretty much normal with just a bit of annoying cough. So, um, yes, yeah, so you can say preparation helped because um, I was carrying lots of you know different medical kit, um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we did hear stories of other riders that, that had similar. I remember staying in checkpoint two, and there was another couple in there, and the lady was coughing exactly the same as Katie was in the first few days and and I think they had to use the medical car some people scratched me right we, okay. we just happened to be by by some forward prep carrying medication that appeared to solve it because the first three days mm-hmm. I, I would have thought we'd scratched you know she was she was walking one foot in front of the other like we were trying to summer it, summit um sort of death zone of Everest I've never seen anybody go so slow I, mm. I know it was an altitude race but this was from the sublime to the ridiculous, so the, the medication really worked and sort of saved our race, really. And thankfully, I was... That's fantastic, actually. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, sometimes in these races, being a pair is a complete hindrance because everything takes forever. But um, on this occasion, the fact we're a pair is amazing because particularly on day three, I mean, Lee actually pushed my bike and his and carried my bag up some of the hills and still I couldn't even walk, you know, enough to keep wow. up so um yeah he he saved my bacon and early in the race and then uh you know tables were turned at the end and I was kind of uh helping him so yeah it, it being right. a pair in this instance was amazing and how did that work then Lee so um because I know there are obviously like you've touched on the the pros and cons of being a pair but I think um it's all very well when you're both well matched and you're both having a good day or whatever but when one of you is so depleted is it a test of patience and you know do you see the race slipping away and trying to kind of manage frustration or does that not really enter into it I think because I think because we're a couple less so than it has we spoke to some of the other pairs some of the male pairs and stuff and if one's faster or slower or weaker or stronger or struggling then sometimes that can cause some sort of some slight clashes um but because we're a couple and we've done other stuff together anyway I'm fully aware going into this race that 
Katie can only go at the speed she goes when she's at her fittest and healthiest. And I may be able to ride my bike on a solo race or adventure faster than that. But that's, you know, that that's not an issue. We are doing it together. When this one came up, we saw mm-hmm. the videos and we saw the, the blurb for it. There was no way we were going to miss it based on where it was and what it was. So you sort of take it on the chin a little bit and realize that we're going to go at the pace we go based on based on the slowest person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when she goes, she goes well, but it was just those first three days. Mm-hmm. And after that, it was okay. So definitely no frustrations on my part. It's just wonderful to, to share an experience of a country and, and what we saw and did. I think you just thought that the race was going to be over. I think you were more upset that you didn't think that I'd get better. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, it was more the fact that maybe all the planning that Katie had put in, just the time and the joining and the signing up and to, to have to scratch within the first possibly three days would have been would have been mm. disappointing. So the fact we saw it out and made it to the finish was was, was a major, major highlight. <laughs> yeah, that's remarkable. And and also fair play to you for sort of being able to manage that because I think I think sometimes people um and certainly, you know, my own uh, limited experience of different things where people have said, oh, we're just doing it for fun, we're not racing. But it turns out that that the other person really is racing. And what they mean is we're going at the pace of the fastest, which <laughs> which quickly, um, you know, falls apart when the wheels come off and you can't keep up with them. So I think the fact that you, you've done that and you've, you've got the experience and you, you're absolutely clear about your reason and kind of uh, plan for doing it is a key to success rather than find out halfway through yeah I think it'd be I think it'd be rude to Nelson and many of the other competitors to say it wasn't a race or it isn't a race we, we signed up knowing it was a race you know we didn't go with a, a big tent and some some backpacking bikes and an SLR camera to, to enjoy and see Kyrgyzstan we were definitely racing there's a deadline there's a cutoff you have to make checkpoints. So, so whilst we were looking for for com, you know completion, not competing, it, it, it was still a race, and we still had to press hard and cover cover bigger distances than you were if you were just sort of bikepacking to enjoy the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, coming back to work, then, um, what was that like? Was it a real thud back to reality? And, and have you had withdrawal symptoms? Um, well, we actually live in the mountains in the French Alps, so um, it, you know, uh, yeah, but we're we're not surrounded by millions of people, so um, it wasn't a massive shock. Although Kyrgyzstan obviously is a lot more vast and a lot more empty than here in the Alps, but this weekend we were in London, which was a real shock to the system. Um, you know, going from going from such empty wildernesses to being on the tube with millions of people was a little bit. Got a little I was wishing I was back in Kyrgyzstan, um, but on a day-to-day basis, we're we're kind of in the mountains and in you know in in our own wilderness. So it wasn't mm-hmm. as big a shock as maybe if you lived somewhere else. And have you just been eating your your body weight in in spent calories? Oh my goodness, I can't stop eating. It's a real problem. <laughs> it's not not what I'm eating. I just need to be eating all of the time, and I can't stop. And um, yeah. It, it's a problem. Lee needed to put on weight. He lost quite a lot during the race. Um, I think he actually was subconsciously worrying a little bit more than I was. I was a bit more relaxed during the race. Um, but now we can't stop, and um, we've, we're bigger than when we started just, the race. Just in case of trying to eat, <laughs> eat a lot of fruit and vegetables and salad rather than a packet of noodles and 12 Snickers. I think still eat, I eat a lot of volume, but trying to just make the make the volume uh, a Healthy. little bit better. But obviously, yeah. Rams, it's, it's steering away from the uh, from the croissants and pan au chocolat now yeah. is the difficulty. <laughs> and have you, is it too early to think about 
next events like do you are you one of these people and I think for loads of people this is the case that you know you spend the first two or three hours saying that's it never again and then by you know it's when you walk back to the car and someone's put a stick a flyer on it for the next event or you know you go home and look at the internet and sign up for something so so what are your thoughts I always have trips planned my my list of things I want to do is absolutely endless and I always know what's kind of coming next so yeah I've definitely got a a, a massive trip perhaps my biggest trip ever planned for next year but at the moment, oh gosh I sadly can't say what that is or that's wow um and then from a from a pair point of view in regards to the bike and doing stuff together I think we've got tour divide on our radar for the future having spoken to a lot of people that had either done it before or going to do it based on this event so uh that's certainly on the yeah, it's on our radar. Not, can't say when. Katie's got a big thing next year that's under wraps. Yeah. And that's certainly a mountain bike sort of challenge that we'd like to, yeah. like to take on. In, until this race, we were very much roadies. Um, we actually had to buy some off-road bikes to do this race because we didn't have Wow. Them. But um, having done this, I think it's definitely – we're not hanging up the road bike, but it's definitely opening up uh, other ideas, other races New that words, perhaps you wouldn't adventures. have looked at. Yeah. Yeah. And it must have given you a lot of confidence because certainly at least one or two of the riders at the Silt Road said that they had done Tour Divide and said, if you can manage the Silt Road, you can definitely handle Tour Divide. Yeah, we heard that quite a bit, which <laughs> which has made us think, oh, maybe we can can achieve that. And um, and yeah, just, just the, the two weeks on the Silk Road um, has massively improved my bike handling skills. I mean, I was a complete wuss from day one, um, particularly descending. And, and by the end, um, yeah, I was really, really starting to build my confidence. So just um, going to capitalise on that, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put a, a sad note on it, but I think Katie's done quite a few with the road bike, the sort of big adventures on the road bike, and, and me just a few of them. But we are roadies; we live in the Alps. We love riding the the Tour de France cols out here and stuff. But the, the mountain biking or, or gravel races, as these were, are, are more appealing because of the the safety aspects, really, and the sort of the big road rides where people are doing big hours on big roads and things like that. The, the fact we've had our eyes open to the gravel, the gravel races, and these sort of off-road ones are, are more yeah. appealing. Less not, traffic yeah, appeals, not just yeah. from the from the sort of enjoyment of seeing that part of the world or country, but from a safety aspect as well. Safety in terms of collisions and things, do you mean? Or yeah, absolutely. Just being tired on the bike, um, you know, riding on the road when you're tired, it's quite uh, your mind disappears off, and you know, there's traffic and. Mm-hmm. It, it adds a whole different kind of danger as where actually in the mountains, which is kind of our domain, it's what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an off ski instructor and I've done lots of kind of remote wilderness stuff. Actually, that I feel more at home there. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, there are dangers, but I think they're dangers that we can, um, can manage, manage better or an account for. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you're on the tri bars on your road bike on tarmac with lorries, then it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah certain extent so So you'd rather out sprint a bear than than a lorry (laughs) absolutely yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) brilliant okay um so just before we wrap up then we're asking um people for you know kind of most abiding memories or any kind of image that sticks in your head or any particularly funny thing that's made you chuckle since can you think of anything that's really stayed with you oh um God, it's difficult to pick a moment. Uh, no, really, off the top of my head, I can't pick a moment. I mean, all I can say is the memory is the country. I mean, the vastness, the remoteness, the 
it was so barren and yet so lush and so alpine in places. I mean, that that's my memory. Um, the the wonderful landscapes. I'm kind of at my happiest when I'm out in that kind of environment. It's it's what adventure is all about. So I think just the country as a whole is my memory rather than a specific mm-hmm, moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. For me, I, I could specify one. I mean, there's so many bits of the country that were beautiful that will stick in my memory for for years forever uh but i i aptly named it a gravel stelvio the descent after checkpoint one uh just this monstrous um switchback we were going down it thankfully not up it but just when we came over the brow out of cp1 that road was just like wow you know it was a big big wow moment um lots of photos lots of videos and it just kind of looked like the sort of stuff we'd ride up but to be a, a road that big in gravel was amazing um, and then something else I think you get from doing the races rather than bike packing is the camaraderie. Um, I know from a few of these events, there's a lot of people, you sort of play cat and mouse and backwards forwards, depending on when you sleep, when you rest, and you end up, I think the speed you travel at means you end up seeing similar similar people and you make friends with the other riders and get to know people and share stories whilst actually doing mm-hmm. So do you feel that you've been inducted into some secret community now then? <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> it, is, it is a really friendly um wonderful community of people that do these races and, and the volunteers that um are part of it as well they seem to love it as much as we do doing it and it's yeah other onlookers must think we're all mad but when we're all doing it it's just yeah the best thing in the world we love it <laughs> fantastic thank you so much it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and um thanks for taking the time to relive just a few of your selected memories um yeah and who knows well we'll keep abreast of your your next adventures both uh to come and 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 not yet announced so thanks very much for your time <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Right, off we go. Um, so I am now joined by Colin Willard, who is one of the successful um, finishers of the Silk Road Mountain Race. So really just wanted to catch up and ask how the roller coaster of emotions is at now and what it was like coming back down to earth after the event. Well, it's, uh, I gather these things are a bit like alcohol. You kind of forget what the hangover was like because I signed up for the Transatlantic Way this morning. Um, oh, my so goodness. The level of pain cannot have been high enough. My memory must be really short. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've been back a week um, and, yeah, I'm still going through it in my head. Um, and, yeah, you do gloss over all of those times when just, it was just too much and you just, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And that's kind of disappeared. And I think, you know, rolling through the gate at the finish and, you know, the party had been going for half an hour and I just, I knew that I didn't have to pedal anymore. That was just such a great feeling. I think that just, that overcame all of the days of, you know, hours of pain and just, I don't know the the times where you just looked at these vast distances and thought I can't do that and you just have to grit your teeth and get on with it because there's no way out of it you're gonna have to cycle out of it or push out of it so yeah I think I'm um, I've started to forget those bad times and just reflect on the really good times so yeah was it very emotional at the end when you came through the gates Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's 
you know, so many ups and downs. And the big thing for me after a while was not so much where am I going to finish and what position, all the rest of it. It was just simply to get to the finish before the cutoff. I was so Mm -hmm. determined to do that. And, um, yeah. And how much margin did you have in the end? Five and a half hours. Not a lot. But, uh, I mean, probably if I'd have had less time to play with, then I probably would have spent, you know, more time pedaling and less time stopping and sleeping and things like that and, you know, just being well aware of meeting that deadline. But, um, yeah, I think I timed it quite well. (laughs) Yeah, it seems quite a good strategy to, yeah, to to take your time but but still have that little um, cushion of comfort at, at the end. Yeah, I mean, there's no point arriving with no party. I mean, you arrive to a party, to a good reception. I've got a great reception. So I think I did quite well with that. And tell us some of the some of the funny moments, because I think um, I remember you regaling us with tales at Checkpoint 3. And, um, but was there not some story about a shepherd that um, pulled up that his map? That was the one, and I'm still not quite sure whether I dreamt that or whether it actually happened. <laughs> I gather, you know, with altitude, you do have, you know, things do start to play around with your, you know, your weird dreams and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure that he was there. And I, I was just getting packed up for the night. I'd finished eating, you know, yet another couple of packets of tedious packet noodles and and was literally just about to switch the torch off and go to sleep or try and get, a, you know, sort of scratch some sleep. And, yeah, a guy on a horse appeared in front of me. And um, we sort of communicated in... I mean, I don't speak any Kyrgyz. He didn't speak much English, and with a bit of gesticulation, I gather I must have given the you know the message. It'd be all right for him to sort of bed down next to my my bivy, and yeah, he got off his horse and took the saddle off and laid out some horse blankets on the ground, and he was wearing some ins- you know heavy heavily insulated clothing, gloves and things like that, and he literally just lay down you know lay down next to my bivy he put the horse on a lead the horse was chomping away he got out and took a sort of a a bag off of his back unwound it and had some bread and broken biscuits in it and a a sort of coca-cola bottle full of orangey milky stuff which he offered to me I declined politely (laughs) I you know no idea what what that was going to do to me let alone what it was and um but yeah, he he. I gather he lived just down the valley next to Shakul, and um, you know he was out and about. And I suppose I it was. I don't know what it got down to that night. It was cold, another cold night, probably minus five, minus six, minus seven, mm-hmm. maybe. But for him, I guess it was just his summer. You know, it was just a balmy yeah. summer evening to him. And I just thought, you know, he's he's hard, he's tough. You know, to be sleeping out in that. Um, so but do you think it was a fine. sort of solidarity thing? I mean, it seems a really touching gesture to to have him choose to sleep where you were. Yeah, I, I'm really not quite sure what it was about. Maybe he wanted to packet noodles, I don't know. <laughs> um, I can't believe that was his motive. But, yeah, it was, it was nice to, you know, to, he, he popped over and, you know, decided to bed down there. But, um, yeah, it, I was still not quite sure whether I dreamt it, though. But... Uh, <laughs> Ben, you yeah, said you'd experienced a lot. Uh, um, you said that was kind of one in a in a list of um, examples of hospitality. So, would you, much like many of the other people, were you struck by the generosity of people as you travelled through? 
Oh, absolutely blown away with it. And it seems the less that people have, the more they're willing to give. And they, the people in Kyrgyzstan were just beautiful people. Um, and I, there was another day going down towards the tarmac road down to the Chinese border. And I just, another day when I really had enough, you know, I've, everything was hurting and I was just having a miserable time. I was pushing the bike up the hill and I was going past a yurt and a little tent and a little lady sort of poked her head out and shouted out, you know, about having some chai. And first of all, I, I was, you know, I was Mr. Grumpy and I didn't want to know. And they said, and I thought, no, you're in Kyrgyzstan, accept the hospitality you've been offered. And yeah, I went into tent because it was thunder and lightning and it had been raining a bit and this, that and the other. So I was quite glad to get out of the rain. And um, yeah, she, she gave me a cup of tea and, and then some, frothy yogurty whatever it was in a bowl which was interesting and some bread and yeah I was there for I don't know an hour or so and uh, then the clouds had or the the thunder and lightning had cleared up a bit and uh, I headed off but I was just you know again this people have very very little and they they're just prepared to share it with you yeah so so generous and and having those experiences then has it made you think uh how you can in some way reciprocate even if it's paying it forward rather than back i think definitely paying forward is is the way these things work i mean i don't know how i could possibly pay back yeah but paying forward, I think, is really what it teaches you. And you, that's what you, you you go on to do yeah. um, however you can. Certainly, but, I uh, had never heard of um, the community warm showers and so many cyclists mentioned it in the course of a couple of weeks that I've now signed us up as a host. So, you know, in yeah, some small but, way, I think, oh, well, you know, if, if other people are travelling through and you can give some sucker and comfort or just a, a strong whiskey or whatever, that might help. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, we're we're quite near the Channel Port, so we're probably ideal in the respect if someone's coming over from the continent. So, you know, and yeah, if you can do that, it's yeah. exactly what you've you've received. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you've said you signed up in in a moment of uh, enthusiastic madness this morning, having achieved something as absolutely epic as everybody said the Silk Road was. What's your motivation to keep doing more? Because you know you obviously don't have a point to prove. You know you can do it. So, what what motivates you to do it again? To do different and more? Well, to do the transatlantic way again, I think last I did it in June and I wasted a lot of time and I had saddle sores and just some days I just didn't, I hardly did any mileage because I was just having a bit of a torrid time. So I want to go back and have a better time, whether or not I will or not, I don't mm. know. But Ireland is similarly beautiful and, and again, you know, massive hospitality, you know, very nice people. So um, I can't at this stage of the game say see me going back to Kyrgyzstan to race, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we are going back to tour. We are want you? to go back. Um, yeah, absolutely. I need to wow. share it. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's for sharing. I can't, you know, photographs don't do it justice. So uh, probably two years' time we'll go wow. back. I mean, and, we, you know, what we'd like to do is actually combine that with a bit of volunteering because, again, that's paying yes. forward or paying Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, how lovely. That's a really yeah. nice full circle then, isn't it? Yeah. And and how long now uh, uh, do you set yourself any sort of, you know, bike-free days? Do you say, right, I'm not getting on my bike for a month or have you been back on it since you got home? 
I've been back on it. Um, in fact, I've got a promise with my five-year-old to ride to school tomorrow if it's not raining and <laughs> he wants to stop off and get bacon and, <laughs> bacon and sausage sandwich on the way. So, oh, yeah, no, that I've, sounds I've made like my kind of, well, I'm vegetarian, but it sounds like a pretty good ride, stopping for snacks en route. Yeah. <laughs> and you think he'll beat you? Kill. He'll get you in, in, in your tired, low moments and thrash you on the ride. Well, we're actually taking the tag along bike, so I'm hoping he's not going to overtake me. <laughs> Fantastic. Maybe, maybe he can cycle you home at the end or something. You can sit in glory at the back. Well, he might even do a bit of pedaling, but I'm not oh, counting sweet. on that. Oh, sweet. Oh, sweet. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, so, right, well, I think that just about wraps it up. Any any last sort of anecdotes or little memories you want to share with us? I don't know. I mean, just a massive amount of thanks to all of the volunteers, to Nelson, Jeff, and Florence and Chris, and just everybody that made it happen because, you know, it had been bubbling away. i have been thinking about it since I saw the, the, the teaser videos everybody had and, and planning out what it was going to be like and all of the hundreds and hundreds of, uh, literally hundreds of hours of thinking about all the different aspects and actually arriving there and it being completely different, you know, every kilometre being more like a mile and, uh, you know, the, the sheer enormity of the whole thing and just really grateful to be part of it met some really fantastic people out there yeah it was it was excellent i mean it was a lot of hard work don't get me wrong but it was well worth it brilliant so, so is there a big gap now then is there a silk road shaped hole or has yeah, it been filled up with can't, they can't not be but <laughs> you know it's great to be back with family again yeah you know, because i think they i think they really found it hard because you've got lots and lots of um lots and lots of big gaps time-wise yes. where there's no contact and although they're looking at tracker you know that's not the same um and so i think yeah it's, yeah, it's really yeah good keep to you be grounded back. but it was really good, good. To be away. all right well listen thank you so much for your yeah. thoughts that's really generous of you to, to spend your time reflecting and um yeah gosh so good luck with your, with your next block of trainings that barely a, barely a week off before the next events in in the horizon <laughs> fantastic absolutely thank you oh, thanks callan oh that's otto signing off with his right, goodbye thanks, <laughs> all right thanks, bye-bye I invited riders to share with me some of their funniest or happiest memories from the race. So here is a brief selection of what they shared. This first from Jennifer Duhan, one of the photographers documenting the race. Funniest memories. The first nomad I met at the bottom of Kegarty Pass called Victor. When I told him my name, he repeated it back. Jennifer. Paused. Ah, Jennifer Lopez. It was a laugh, slap hand to forehead moment for me. J-Lo became my nickname in the media van. This next from Wendy Montgomery. My favourite memory, it happened more than once, was when a young boy or a teenage boy would get up the nerve to ask if he could test ride my bike. I always consented and loved the look on their faces as they rode in circles for five minutes. And now from Giacomo. Clergis hospitality is second to none. After a morning of big undulations, river crossings and hot weather, a storm was brewing and headed our way. 
A Kyrgyz lady invited us into her family's bossu, yurt, for chai, bread, butter and goat fat, whilst we sat out the rain. I was amazed at how resourceful and compassionate the nomadic Kyrgyz people are. She was incredibly proud of what she has, even though it didn't seem much to a Westerner, and she was eager to share it with us. Another racer described Kyrgyz hospitality as aggressively hospitable. It certainly is very hard to say no. And now we hear from Bagali Leventi, who stormed into second place on the race. Instead of sharing one of the high points, he shares a really valuable lesson for riders everywhere when the chips are down and you don't feel like carrying on. Here's Bagley in his own words. It's daylight. I've just woken up and I've clearly overslept. It must be about six o'clock, later than I've woken up during the whole race. Damn, I've overslept. Back in the saddle and on with the day ahead. Progress is slow, though. I have multiple stops, rearranging layers, lubing my chain, getting some snacks from the saddle pack, and so on. I also eat a lot of dust when the cars are passing by on the gravel roads. I'm just not feeling it today. Around early afternoon, I was feeling burnt by the beating sun, so called a short break, made a soup and a cup of tea afterwards on the stove, and rapidly put my head down for a short daytime nap. Overslept again. Damn! I've slept for more than two hours. I got going again, but the roads were worse and worse, washboard or just filled with potholes. River crossings were also slowing me down from that point. In one, my tool bottle escaped from my down-tube bottle holder. As I'd already lost the lid, on an earlier day, the contents escaped and the pump and tubeless repair kit sailed away on the fast waters. I couldn't save them. I was just waving goodbye in my mind as I was holding my bike in my hands, standing in knee-deep water. What could possibly go more wrong, I asked myself. I carried on over more rivers until I found a place to stop. I needed to eat. It occurred to me that I could dry out my gear on the stove at the same time. So I took off my gloves and dried them on the fire pretty fast. I'm a genius, I was thinking. I could try my socks and shoes too. I can ride with dry feet tomorrow. Surely there can't be any more rivers to cross. I dried the shoes and even one sock successfully, but got a bit carried away and managed to melt the other one, exactly on the sole where I pushed the pedals. Big chunks of melted plastic stuck all around. Don't worry, I thought. It's repairable. I tried to cut out the melted parts, but because I was shaking so much, I cut out too much, ending up losing half the sole of my sock. All of a sudden, I saw a light across the horizon. A light of a fellow rider. Never mind, I thought. He'll probably just cross all those river crossings, find me camping here, and we can have a chat and a cup of tea, maybe cheer ourselves up. But the light kept moving, slowly and steadily, from left to right, up the horizon. Something's wrong, I was thinking. He must be off the course. Or maybe he just knows some better crossing places for the rivers. But with the slow and steady progress, I had a bad feeling. I reached behind myself where my bike was on the ground, twisted the garment off the handlebar, turned it back on, only to realise I was off the route. It turned out I hadn't even had to cross those three or four big river crossings. So here I was, on an island in the middle of a main river, with nowhere to go but back. I was slowly becoming a donkey 
just like in the cartoons. Plodding on, making slow progress and also going off course. To cap it all, I'd lost my fourth place position. I felt I'd lost everything and I was ready to scratch. Then I remembered one of the golden rules that Mike Hall taught us. Never scratch at night. So I calmed myself, put my head down to sleep and closed my eyes. The point of this story is to show just how amazing willpower can be. I hadn't even set an alarm, but the next day I sprang awake at 3am and like the most motivated person in the whole world, I jumped out of my sleeping bag. I was back in my elements again. I threw everything I'd left lying on the ground back into the bags, jumped on the bike, rode across the river crossings, not caring about getting my feet wet, found the race route up in the valley and didn't stop until I passed the bivvy camp of the man whose lights I'd seen the previous night on the horizon. I was back in fourth place. From that point on, it was full steam ahead until the end of the race, even managing to claw my way into second place. From the deepest moment when I was close to scratching, back to battle it up in the front of the pack, I was amazed by the contrast that just a few hours of sleep had made. So the lesson of the story again is Mike Hall and his wise words, never scratch at night, for you never know what tomorrow brings. The final words have to go to Mike Sheldrake, otherwise known as Shell, whose poem sums up all the majesty and pain that the Silk Road race had to offer. Thanks to Mike for letting me read it on his behalf. I have seen 10,000 horses. I have waded rivers. I have crashed and hurt. I have laughed. I have met so many smiling faces. I have stampeded yaks. I have stumbled below glaciers. I have seen a simpler life. I have fallen off in gravel, mud and water. I have been frozen. I have cried tears of joy. I have pushed and carried. I have drunk the effervescent kumis. I have clattered down a hundred miles of washboard. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have sucked thin breaths at high altitude. I have bled. I have been waved at by every child and chased by every dog. I have drunk chai and slept with Kyrgyz nomads. I have been snowed on and blasted by hail. I have blistered and burned dry in the high altitude sun. I have lost my way on trackless marshland. I have been humiliated by horses. I have been caught, taught to count to five in Kyrgyz. I have been sick. I have reveled in wild and magnificent scenery. I have made new friends and cemented old acquaintances. I have watched eagles soar. I have raced thunderstorms. I have danced at a wedding. I have raced a horseman down a pass and lost. I have been covered in mud. I have swapped songs in a hillside yurt. I have battled headwinds and smiled at border guards. I have been blinded by dust and sunlight. I have enjoyed great solitude and emptiness. I have ridden the first Silk Road mountain race. So that's it. 
we've come to the end of the epic Silk Road Mountain Race and the 12 episodes of the podcast. So first of all, a massive thank you once again to Shan Cycles, our sponsors, without whom we couldn't have brought you these reports. Thanks also to Nelson for letting me host the podcast and it's been an amazing opportunity to meet the riders and also to hear feedback from the listeners and a huge debt of gratitude and thanks to Bjorn Westra who is the unsung hero behind this podcast. He is the editor who's given up loads of his time all voluntarily and put up with my technical ineptitude. He has seamlessly edited the content to put together great episodes He came up with the music and he has had endless patience and humor dealing with this. So it may appear easy, but for him, I'm sure he would explain that it's been a lot of hard work. So thanks to Bjorn. Lastly, thank you for listening, for sharing the journey with us. And with any luck, we will be back next year to bring you new adventures as Nelson unveils what tricks he has up his sleeve for the second Silk Road Mountain Race. Meanwhile, wherever you are, thanks for listening. Happy riding or just happy life in general. Take care. Bye-bye.